Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We have an exciting show for you today. We did something pretty um, historic this past Shabbos at Jew in the City, um, part of a new initiative that we launched in the last year called Project Makom. Um, for those of you who have not tuned in to hear about Project Makom before, the quick version of this is that it came to my attention about a year and a half ago that there are people within the Haredi world primarily the Hasidic world, but some parts of the ultra-yeshivish world as well, who uh, are not feeling like they can fit into the, the community of their birth, of where they were raised. It's too intense. It's too strict. It's not enough mixing with the larger world. Um, there is a program for people who want to leave observance completely or at least learn how to integrate with the larger world, um, which many people know about called Footsteps. Um but um, up until we launched Project Makom, there was no organization out there catering to the needs of people who did not fit into the community of birth and yet wanted to remain observant. Um, now, this idea sort of came to me initially because a couple uh, approached me at the end of a talk I was giving in Muncie. This was an inspirational talk. It was an outreach type of talk. I was speaking about my journey to observance, to connecting with God. And these people said we were raised in a community where there's a lot of fear of Hashem and not as much open-mindedness and we love your approach and we want to live a way like this, but we don't know how to do it. I was thrilled to help them because who doesn't want to help a person who says, you know, we, we need a hand to feel like we can belong. But unfortunately, I got interrupted while I was talking to them and when I turned back, they were gone. Um, this sort of put the idea in my mind that something ought to be done, but I didn't know what the answer was. About a uh, half a year later, um, or no, sorry, I guess, yeah, half a year later, a year and a half later, when was this? My goodness, I'm losing track of my life. Okay, about a year ago, so that must have been a year and a half ago. Yeah, half a year later, I um, I read a blog post from a, a outspoken, a well-known, uh, formerly observant woman who um, had been raised in the most ultra section of Monroe, and after... Um, three years of trying to acclimate into mainstream Muncie, just into a more, you know, centrist community. She felt like she had been totally forgotten about, discarded. Nobody wanted her kid in their school. They described him as, a, you know, an ex-Hasidish Yiddish-speaking boy on his way down. They did not get Shabbos invitations. She eventually started paying a neighbor to play with her son because that's how lonely they were on Shabbos. And after three years of being ignored, they said, enough with this. And now she, you know, has left observance completely. Um, and so when I read this, I didn't know what the answer was necessarily, but I also knew that the answer was not to do nothing. And so I wrote a post and I said, we must help these people. Who wants to join me? And 200 people wrote in, including our co-directors of Project Makom, Mindy Schapper, who is ex-Hasidic herself, and Gabriella Lerner, who um, is a teacher and is filling in educational stuff for us. Um, the challenge of doing something like this is that you end up getting um, criticized by people on both sides of the aisle, which I guess I'm used to by now, being that I try to live in the center. Um, you know, there's the criticism of the footsteps or, you know, ex-religious community uh, saying, you know, is this some sort of a key roof or trying to reel people back in, even though we're being very clear from the outset that we have no hidden agenda. There's no bait and switch. We're saying from the very beginning, we're orthodox. These are the types of paths that we're offering. Um, if you're interested in exploring one of these paths, then, you know, we have something for you. If someone's not interested in exploring orthodoxy, for instance, one of our fans, a Hasidic fan said uh, he has a relative who left 
you know, observance, can we get the relative on our program? And what I said to him simply is that um, we can't get anyone to do anything. We, we can put out great programming. We can put out nuanced programming. We can be open to questions. We can be non-judgmental. We can do all those things, but we can't get anyone to show up. Similarly, a Hasidic rabbi I spoke to who was not sure if he should get on board was, you know, thinking about it. He said, if a boy comes to you in payas, will you leave them on? And I said to him, Rabbi, with all due respect, we're simply not going to micromanage facial hair. So what we'll do is we'll explain the different opinions in terms of how to deal with payas, long, short, whatever. Um, and we'll encourage this person to connect with a rabbi that resonates with him, and then we'll leave it to the person to choose. Um, on the other side of things, uh, the criticism coming from parts of the, uh, I think, Hasidish community is we're trying to poach Hasidim and trying to you know, bring them to a watered-down version of orthodoxy, which is nothing at all close to what we're doing. We actually had some members of the formerly Hasidic community who specifically asked us this. Could you go into this community? Could you try to pull them out and... And we said to them, we have no interest in proselytizing. We have no interest in our agenda. Something I spoke about at the Shabbaton is that when I was first finding my way in orthodoxy, when I was trying to find my path, it was extremely confusing because every person I spoke to ultimately wanted me to end up like them. So I would speak to someone who was modern. They'd say, don't become Haredi. They're crazy. And I would speak to someone who was Haredi and say, don't become, someone, don't become modern. They're lazy. And I'd speak to someone Lubavitch and they'd say, you should be Chabad. And everywhere I went, Everybody wanted me to be them, and I ultimately trusted no one. And after a summer in Israel of trying to find my place and figure out where I needed to end up, I was also trying to find my makom. I met a woman who had become very sort of Haredi mystical Svat type of Balchuva, and instead of telling me become mystical Haredi Svat Balchuva, she told me there were 12 tribes. They each had their own way. Go find yours. And it was such a, a moment of freedom for me to trust that I could find something that resonated with my neshama, with my soul, and that there was more than one valid way to be an observant Jew and that we have to respect various paths and see that some paths work better for some and some paths work better for others. And so today we're going to be speaking to one of our participants who was on the Shabbaton. Her name is Esty, and she's going to tell us why the path that she was raised in was not a good fit, but maybe how Makom is going to be helping her find a path in Torah observance that fits better. Esty, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, Allison. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, sure, my pleasure. So, um, you know, I just one thing in terms of people feeling like we're not, you know, attacking any place too much. I think everything that we speak about, you know, is your experiences and obviously different people have different experiences. And I think such a fine balance of um, being careful not to whitewash, but also being careful not to make broad generalizations and like condemn an entire community. So um, sort of with that intro, could you tell us like a little bit about kind of what type of uh, Jewish upbringing you had? So I was raised Hasidish. Um, I had a very happy childhood. I come from a large family. I'm the middle child. And um, all of my siblings are basically following in that Hasidish path, some more than others, but definitely all strong in terms of Hasidish. Um, I never felt like I belonged. My earliest memories of not wanting to conform, um, I remember when I was approximately five or six years old, we were in a bungalow colony where we were from the most Hasidish people there, and my I was wearing tights, and I didn't want to wear tights. I didn't understand why I needed to wear tights, 
and I didn't understand why I couldn't wear socks and why if I wasn't 12 yet, I needed to cover um, my knees and my feet all the way. And I remember putting on my younger brother's socks um, when my mother wasn't looking and walking and pulling them up to my knees. They didn't even go all the way up. I must have looked really funny. That was my first um, um, recollection of not wanting to conform and not wanting to um, be within the confines of the strict rules that I grew up with. Um, another memory of specifically Hasidus is Simchat Torah when, um, when we went to our, you know, our Rebbe to watch the, uh, um, the Hakafos. We, I remember like the whole community used to come and stand on the benches to want to look at the, you know, the, the Rebbe's dancing in the middle. And my mother used to say, come, come, you know, check it out, look. And I, I, I never understood it. I never understood why he should be dancing more than everybody else. And why if it's a collective, we're all Jewish and we're all the same and we're all, why is only he the one, the center of attention? I never understood that. So that was my Hasidus, you know, specifically that my first recollection of not understanding the concept of today's Hasidus. Um, but I should say that I did have a very happy childhood. My family is a very happy family, um, great sense of humor all around, always joking. Um, we went on trips all the time, homeward. We went to, you know, my parents made sure to take us fun places. We, I used to go ice skating as a kid. Um, very, very happy family. Um, just this one area, I just never got it. I just never understood the concept. Um, no, it's, it's interesting. Well, um, we, ha we had a panel of speakers at the Shabbaton, and we had a transition panel of people who left the Hasidish upbringing they were raised in and spoke about how they found a different uh, Orthodox community that fit them better. It seemed like what everyone had in common was somehow just on their own having questions that other people didn't have and no one spoke about any great trauma that you know turned them off or some you know Hasidic leader that did something bad to them or an authority figure it just seemed like these were people that were just a little bit more inquisitive or somehow didn't um, just accept things like everyone else did in the same way does that does that make sense you think that's kind of what you guys all share in common it does, but there is one thing that once you have those questions, you are definitely tuned in more to the trauma and to the to the negative. There's no question about it that I definitely see a lot more negativity in Hasidus than my siblings do, or than or as my friends. Um, there are certain instances that stand out in my mind that, um, you know, specifically negative negative um, connotations towards Hasidus which my friends don't have a problem with, or my family doesn't have a problem. I mean, they have a problem with it, but they, they say the pros outweigh the cons. I, I see it differently. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to bring specific examples. Um, but I definitely, once you have those questions, you're definitely not seeing things in the positive way. Were, there, um, were, these, questions, I, yeah. were these questions that you had something that you could speak to family or close friends about, you know, in terms of why does the Rebbe only, the Rebbe dance and not the rest of us, why do I have to wear these thick stockings when I'm so young? Were these things you could ever verbalize and sort of work through, or? Um, um not, I never felt comfortable discussing it. There was one big fight. I remember the school I went to um, didn't require us to wear um, beige tights. But most of the school wore, meaning that it was a it was a prep it was a choice that you were able to make, and I refused to put it on. And my parents got a lot of phone calls from people like, "What is this? Why isn't your daughter wearing base heights?" And they forced me basically to put it on in one of the older grades 
Um, and I remember that 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 was there was a lot of fighting about that. Um, I need an explanation. Why is why why is base type considered more? Am I going to become a better Jew? Is this going to make me closer to Hashem? Um, does this show more Amuna? I, I, am I going to have laugh for this? And I couldn't understand it. I mean, to me, black tights are thicker, based, you know, like, it, yeah. I didn't get it. And I was, I, I, I took it off. But that, that was the first thing that went, actually, meaning my journey out. I'm not, I'm still in transition, like you would say, but the first thing that went was the base tights. I had such hatred to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it, that was the only, that's when I think I realized that I can't even verbalize. And we did have actually a subject in school, um, called Hasidus, which we, when we, which is when we learned about what the premise of Hasidus is and what the Roshanta wanted and, and, you know, the, and, and the, 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 um, you know, how it continued on. And I never understood the connection between today's Hasidus and, and, and the way it was meant to be. And I, I had a lot of questions. And no, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I didn't feel comfortable asking anybody. Just to give our listeners an update on what the Shabbat Hon was like, we actually had a Rav who grew up more modern and then adopted um, Hasidic practice and uh, traditions into his life. Speak, he was uh, the last main talk on Shabbos, um, speaking about Hasidus versus Hasidic practice nowadays. So the interesting thing about Rev Weinberger is that um, he's part of Yeshiva University, so there's you know a, a modern element to him. But he he wears the lavush, you know. He wears the uniform. He has Hasidic minhagim. But he's also at the same time very open-minded, not judgmental, living in the world. And so we really wanted to show a range of different possibilities to our participants um, over the course of Shabbos, because again, we don't have an agenda of where where we want people to end up. We more want to show uh, people kind of what's out there to see what resonates with them. So can I ask you a question? What were you hoping to get out of this Shabbaton? What do you think you might get out of it versus how did it end up being in practice? I went in with um, not knowing what to expect since this is your first one and, and you know, the organization is still fairly new. Um, I wanted to meet all the people that I had met through social media um, to share experiences. I wanted to see, um, I'd been hearing... I've been discussing with two of my siblings on um, this journey that I'm taking, and they've pretty much not been very supportive. And one of them actually went out and said that the modern Orthodox world is horrible and it's fake. And it's, um, you know, they were going on and on. And I, I wanted to see if, if, you know, is this true? And I must say, I, my hosts were the most amazing people I've ever met. They were darling. They were, they were, they were so. You know, they loved religion, and they loved Hashem, and they, we were mentioning, we were talking at one point about financial difficulty, and the hostess, the hostess um, she was saying, like, oh, I'm not worried, it's all, it's all in Hashem's hand, and I, I was struck by the simplicity of her amuna, and I'm like, I, w- I was told that they, they, they live, like, they, they take loopholes, and they, they, they look for loopholes, and they do whatever they want, whatever's comfortable for them, and I just found that so simple, like, Hashem is going to provide, and that's it, and it was just, to me, that was, that was an affirmation that, um, there's something there, you know, there's something there that's deeper, and it's not just about finding loopholes and finding where, you know, doing whatever you want, basically, that's what my, my siblings keep on telling me, you're looking to live comfortably without anyone telling you what to do, and I disagree with that, I'm just trying to find a comfortable niche for me in Yiddishkeit, where I feel comfortable and understand what I'm doing. 
And so do you have any idea where this is going to lead you? Or you're just kind of wait, you know, wait to see what future programming we have? Like, do, do you have any sort of goals in mind in, in this process, in this participation with MACOM? Well, one of the things that I know, um, um, I would love to see more in terms of classes, in terms of, let's say, um, education. Um, personally, I don't blame my education. I happen, happen to have a Regents diploma. I had an excellent secular education. Um, my husband didn't. Came out on probably a fourth grade level hmm. um, in English, in secular studies. Um, I remember when we first got married, he had no idea what division was and um, in terms of math. And I had to teach him, and that was very embarrassing for him. Um, being a young couple when he wanted to go get a job, and um, he didn't know basic math. And it wasn't because he's not smart. He's actually brilliant, and uh, he just never was taught. And um, I would love to have more programming in terms of education, um, aspiring to higher education, English classes, just learning the language. Um, I, would, I would love to have Torah classes. You know, like um, Rabbi Pesach Summer was absolutely amazing. He blew my mind. Um, he was so humble. Um, and I would love to have more of him. We're actually bringing him on to speak in a few minutes, so I'm so glad uh, that, uh, that that was a good fit. I really think that all the different speakers, we, we brought in a, a Talmidah Chachama named uh, Dina Block, who's a Yoetza Halacha, who was kind of one end right. of, of the spectrum. Um, and there My was husband one. was actually blown away by her. Yeah, you know, um, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, he had mentioned that he hasn't learned in years and he could listen to her speak for, you know, hours more. And so, you know, again, when we make these selections of different types, sort of showing a, a range of what's out there in the Orthodox world, I'm sure there are some people that want to know why we're showing open-minded Hasidish as one option and one wanting to know why we're showing U.S. Said Halacha as another option. I mean, we're, we're hearing people complain about that exact thing. But really, um, <laughs> I think our... The, the approach that we're going to take is that um, our agenda isn't any one agenda. We're here to let you guys, the participants, um, get familiar with out there. And, um, and there's supposed to be there's supposed to be um, ways of pleasantness and peace. And so um, we hope that something that we show you guys um, you know, will resonate and be pleasant and be peaceful and, um, and truly help you find your place. So I really want to thank you for coming today and sharing your story. And I hope this gives a little bit more of a, you know, a personal uh, insight into the person that didn't fit into a place but wants to remain connected to Hashem and wants to remain from and that, oh gosh, I think we need to be open enough to let other people take their journeys and find their way. Um, and th thank you so much for, uh, for giving a face to that. Thank you so much, Allison. The Shabbat was absolutely probably one of the most amazing Shabbat of my life. And... Um, it opened the world to me that I knew existed but knew nothing about. And um, I don't know where the journey is going to bring me to, but uh, I really appreciate your effort. It is our pleasure. We put a whole lot of work into it. Uh, our, uh, I'll give a little shout-out to... It was obvious. We, we had... It was very obvious. Yeah, Bud's, Bud's Events Designs handled our floral and... Uh, you know, all the coordinating for the Shabbaton, our co-event our co chair, Shoshi Manella, these people really put their heart and soul in it. Um, and just to give our listeners an idea about what was going on, we were getting stopped in the streets by random people in the five towns during the Shabbaton. 
people hearing about and telling us how inspired and how, you know, excited they were that such a program existed. And I've been getting calls from all different rabbis since uh, Shabbos ended, you know, congratulating us on these efforts. It's a little bit controversial what we're doing. We, we have no interest to poach. We have no interest to promote an agenda. We're not doing it to offend anyone or anyone's lifestyle. We just want to see Jews connecting with the Torah that speaks to them. And, and so we're, we're trying to make that possible. So thank you so much again, and we look forward to seeing you at another event. Thank you, Allison. And with that wonderful introduction about Rabbi Pesach Summer, we are thrilled to bring him onto the, the line today. Um, good morning, and thank you for joining us. I know you want to be called Pesach in that Rabbi Summer, so hi, Pesach. Hi, Alvin. How are you? I'm doing well. So, um, yeah, our, uh, the guest that we had, uh, we had a participant from the Shabbaton just before. She said she was blown away by you about how humble you are, about just um, it really showed her a new perspective. What, how did, uh, I guess, what you were expecting the Shabbaton to be? And I guess we'll just tell our, um, our listeners now that you were one of our speakers on the Shabbaton. So how did your expectations of what the Shabbaton might be versus what it ended up being uh, sort of compare? Um, I have to admit, I was trying to keep my expectations a little low because I just didn't know what it was going to be. I, you know, I mean, obviously, even with the first time, you know, you never know what whether you're going to be able to find exactly what people are, are providing are, are looking for. And and personally, also, even in terms of what I was going to say, I just wasn't sure whether I could find the right words that would really uh, be right for the audience. So I really try to keep. Um, I wouldn't say you know pessimistic, but I try to keep at least as realistic a. a I hope is possible, and I, I was blown away by the weekend. I mean, there was just not a part where I, I kept on just speaking. The, the the gentleman who I was uh, rooming with or sharing a house with, I guess you'd say, um, we just kept on talking about it. it was just every part of the program, uh, the schedule parts, the the social part in between. I mean, everything was just beyond what I could have imagined. Well, we're so we worked really hard. I happen to hate event planning, and I hate fundraising, and now my life has become both of those things, but really what makes the event planning part of it so worthwhile is seeing the results and seeing the happy stuff, and we were so, I mean, the setup was beautiful, and you know, our, we had a beautiful team, I called it a dream team, um, Mindy um, Lerner, sorry, Mindy Schopper and Gabrielle Lerner, our co-directors, helped put together the programming and pick out, you know, people to speak, and then Hani Waxler and Shoshi Manella helped with the Gashmia side, everybody get a, got a care package when they came in with, you know, little details and beautiful flowers, and um, what was I going to say? Oh, but nobody wanted to leave. Did you know? Were you there late? People, I didn't get home till three o'clock in the morning on Friday night. People just didn't want to stop talking. Like there was some sort of amazing energy that that got created there. Uh, that was absolutely incredible. I mean, that's. I mean, I I, I got back. I think right about uh, twenty to three, and it was. <laughs> I left only because I just I, I I knew I was speaking the next day, and I had to get at least you know four or five hours sleep. But I. I same thing. I mean, I was just talking from person to person. I mean, and just, I mean, that that opening program with the uh, with the, the panel discussion was just so powerful, and and then just sitting around with different people and people opening up and sharing very personal, you know, parts of their lives, struggles, things like that, and just the the connection that was made between the various participants and the participants and the, and and the speakers. I mean, it was just. I, I mean, I literally. I. I, you know, I mean, uh, I came away with people who I felt like I'd known them, you know, for years. I mean, just people who I really consider friends, um, heroes. Also, I mean, I just uh, the 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 willingness to to 
come to you know to to come to an event that they you know where they didn't know anybody else and where you know from their community's perspective and from their family's perspective they shouldn't be there and to to risk you know to take a big risk but in order to really um to, uh, with the with the chance to gain so much more it was it was incredible i mean literally if otherwise i mean i i would have probably gone to sleep before in the morning but it was there really was such a tremendous energy at every part of the of the program um so where where do you see or where do you hope since we're at this point we're surveying our um our participants and you know trying to get a feel for you know what they want next as a, a rabbi as you know someone god willing will bring back to you know uh do future programming with future classes with where would you like to see Malcolm heading um well i mean i think that there's there's a lot of different parts to it i mean and i i know you saw i mean i wrote a little something on 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 my blog about uh, about the event and um, I, I think that, you know the biggest thing is to focus on on people's olam hazeh, what it is they need to get through their the challenges of their lives right now. But it, but what, but uh, the little I guess twist to what I put into that is the idea that I think that that you know what you know what maybe would be termed by some you know olam haba, worrying about you know Torah mitzvah, the relationship with Hashem, things like that. Um, you know all these things. I mean, that's that's also their olam hazeh. I mean, for someone who's grown up in a very you know very observant religious community, um, helping them land not only on their feet in terms of uh, job training, um, you know, maybe getting some sort of an education, um, fitting into community, all these different things that I know you're working on. I think you know making sure that um, that they're able to find a place where religiously they feel good, that they feel that they're still they can have a relationship with Hashem, that they can be involved. Um, in Torah, so I mean, I, I think really all of that. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, the thing that was interesting when I spoke, I really tried to, um, I, I, I try to keep it very open ended. I try to talk about different parts of you know what I called you know lowercase m modern orthodoxy. You know, that in other words, rather than saying it has to be specifically within a particular part of the community, but just trying, I, I try to touch on different parts of of the Judaism that I think that both of us have found to be so beautiful and um, and and deep. And, and serious. I mean, I try to talk about you know different um, in, in, in terms of education, men's education, women's education, uh, including uh, incorporating um, secular knowledge. Um, how we deal with people from different levels of observance or, or different religions or no religion at all. Um, I really try to touch on all those things. So I think that um, you know, and and the thing that was very rewarding was that different people responded to different things. I mean, one one person who I um, actually knew a little bit beforehand, one man actually came over to me and said, you know, you mentioned, you talked about that you yourself at one point struggled with Amuna issues. Like, I'd love to be able to talk to you. Um, and other people found other things. So I think that um, the broader the offerings that we could provide, I, I think the the better it's going to be because really, you know, that was one of the one of the things I think I said that you know just like. Um, our faces, you know, no two people have the same face, no two people have the same uh, personality, and, and I think that everybody's going to need different things. So I think that the broader we make it and the more, um, the more we can cater as much, you know, obviously we can't give every person one-on-one you know, one on one in everything, sure. but the more I think, you know, that we, t- that we take into consideration the various needs, uh, I, I think the, uh, the possibilities are really uh, endless. Well, actually, just to the one-on-one thing point, uh, we actually are offering one-on-one mentorship. Um, we do have a bunch of mentors that are living 
uh, mentors living, you know, somewhere outside of the world they came in, a range of mentors um, to do learning, secular, Jewish, Shabbos placement, friendship. So we actually are offering that sort of a thing. But yeah, the modern with a little M as opposed to a big M. It's so hard about how branding happens. We had a great article, a great writer wrote an article for us in the forward. Unfortunately, the forward um, had a title that just, ugh, really, um, <laughs> I think just showcased us in a way that we did not want to come off, you know, saying like, can um, can ex-Orthodox be, um, you know, convinced to be modern Orthodox? And we never wanted the word convinced to be in there because we're here with open arms for people that want us. We're not trying to reel anyone in, number one. Number two, modern Orthodox is a very lo loaded term. To some people, it means just interacting with the larger world um, and still being very careful and strict about halacha. For other people, you know, it means they're just kind of more lax and, you know, kind of don't worry about everything. It's such, it means so many different things to different people. So we've tried not to use that term. Our, our tagline is helping former and questioning Haredim find their place in orthodoxy because ultimately we believe that everyone needs to find their makom. Um, and I also want to touch upon the olam haza, olam haba point. We had another critic, another comment saying that the problem with makom was that, you know, we were focusing on other people's, you know, portion of the world to come and we really we should just be helping each other, which was said by um, Rav Yisrael Salanter that, that my, um, spiritual, my spirituality is helping you with your physicality. But the thing is that as someone who was searching. I had an existential uh, crisis as a child that was searching for meaning in the middle of a very happy, otherwise wonderful life to find purpose and to find, you know, a connection to something bigger than myself was so connected to my Olam Hazeb because um, I could never remember, I could never distract myself from the fact that everything that I was doing I knew would one day be gone and I'd be in the ground and it would all be over. And so for me to connect myself and attach myself to something bigger than myself, to something transcendent beyond this world, um, made all the difference in terms of my happiness for this world. And that's how we've set Jew in the City out to, you know, to exist as, um, you know, a, a resource of information and advice so that people um, who are searching, who are looking for more meaning can connect to it. And, um, you know, that's what we hope that um, the Project Malcolm can offer people as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Rabbi Summer. Um, and thank you so much for listening. And please uh, stay tuned for future Malcolm updates. And you can find us here same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.